You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be reflecting on Arsenal's excellent victory over Aston Villa at Emirates Stadium. Lots of positives to talk about, and I'm really, really looking forward to this edition of the podcast. I've got to say... I want to say, first of all, uh, a big hello to those of you who are watching us live right now, because I know that in some parts of the world, it's not as late as it is here in the UK. But I know this is a completely weird time that I'm streaming this show. You know, it's really out of the ordinary. We normally try and do them as soon as the game finishes or as close to the final whistle. But of course, when I'm at the game, it means that I've got to get home first. And unfortunately, there was quite a bit of traffic getting home from uh, from the Emirates tonight and it took me a little bit longer than I imagined but I am super busy with work tomorrow and I knew that if I didn't get this podcast out for you now so that if you're watching it live you can enjoy it before you go to sleep or if not you can watch it or listen to it first thing in the morning then it would be delayed till tomorrow night and I didn't want to do that because I think it's so important that when we perform well we do make a big deal out of it and we do talk about it and we do enjoy it because you know, so often we spend way too much time moaning, complaining about Arsenal Football Club. And look, we're, we're fans and of course that's going to happen. You know, we're going to have those ups and downs. But I do think it's really important that when you're talking about this young, developing group of players and they do do something good and they do perform like they perform tonight, that we do make the most of it and we do... Just the way we criticise them when it goes bad, we make sure we show that same energy in the praise that we send in their direction, I guess. So I wanted to do it tonight, wanted to get it out ASAP, and I wanted to do it while so many positive things are at the kind of forefront of my mind. The tactical review show that we do uh, the next day after the game normally will be delayed. It's going to come to you guys on Sunday this week, just because, as I mentioned, I'm incredibly busy. Uh, with work tomorrow. And then I have a christening to attend straight after. So I'm not going to get a chance to put that show together. Probably not going to get a chance to watch the match again uh, by tomorrow sort of afternoon. So it will come, uh, as I say, on Sunday. Right, let's get into it then. And let's start with Mikel Arteta's team selection. Of course, the team news broke around about an hour before kickoff. We knew, according to Mikel Arteta, that there were a couple of players who were doubts. Now, a lot of us, including myself, thought that the biggest doubt was going to be Bukayo Saka. Of course, he went off against Crystal Palace after that horrible challenge from James MacArthur. And I was almost certain that Bukayo Saka would not start the game tonight. Um, I was wrong. I wondered about Kieran Tierney. I think he was someone that was rumoured to have picked up a bit of a problem or to have been carrying a problem. And he was left out of the side. So we lined up as follows. It was Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Back four of uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu, Ben White, Gabriel and Nuno Tavares, who came in in place of Kieran Tierney. Moving into the midfield, it was, as I said, Sambi Lakonga alongside Thomas Partey. Emil Smith-Rowe was in the side, as was Bukayo Saka, to my surprise, as was Lacazette, as was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, the way this was set up, I've got to admit, it caught me a little bit off guard. When I saw the team news come out, I had it in my head that it was going to be Lacazette through the middle, Emile Smith-Rowe in the 10 position with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from the left and Saka from the right. Partey and Lekonga making up a mid double midfield pivot and everything else as you were. But when the game started, it was abundantly clear very, very early on that Arsenal had opted for something else, for something different and something that seemed to really, really work. Now, will it work against every opponent? I'm not going to go as far as saying it will, because I think there are reasons why that system that we played tonight and that setup that Mikel Arteta opted for saw us 
cause Aston Villa problems. And we'll come on to talk about that in a little bit more detail in just a bit. But just looking at the way he set us up in general, um, you know, I, I thought he picked the right players. And for the most part, what Mikel Arteta did was he put players back in their best positions. Now, we talk a lot about this and we talk a lot about, you know, how it is that we should set up. And we discuss, for example, you know, who can, can Lacazette play in that number 10 role? And I've got to admit, when we recorded a podcast earlier on in the week, myself and, and Metro Sports Mike Stavrou, he suggested that. He suggested that Lacazette played kind of like a hybrid between a centre forward and a, a, an attacking midfield player. And I've got to be honest, I wasn't convinced. You know, it's something that people have talked about in the past. And I've always kind of been reluctant to say that's what I want to see. I've always looked at it and gone, I've got to be honest, I'm not quite sure about that. But tonight it worked brilliantly. Now, some people have called it a 4-4-2 system and it felt like a bit of a throwback at certain points in the game, didn't it? But it, for me, it wasn't quite a 4-4-2. And I think it's important to stress that point because Alexander Lacazette was regularly dropping into deeper positions, was regularly tracking back, was all over the place. It was an incredible performance from Alexander Lacazette. But when we had the ball, he did get up close to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and they worked like a, a front two. And I think that's excellent. I think having that flexibility is brilliant. And the good thing about Lacazette is even if he doesn't strike you as a traditional number 10 or someone who can play in that hole, He's got an awful lot of attributes that really, really do suit that role. You know, he's very, very uh, hardworking, very, very good at pressing, always works back, always looks to combine with people, always happy to lay it off first time, always happy to, you know, you know, contribute for the team. And I think that he, again, uh, you know, performed admirably tonight. I think for, and the reason I say that this system the, with the two up front when we're in possession, worked better against Villa than it might work against other teams is because Villa play with a back three. And often what happens is when you come up against a team with a back three and you opt to go with one centre forward, you find yourself in a situation where your centre forward ends up getting isolated. And having the two players up there, I thought, really caused Aston Villa a problem. They no longer had two spare men, they had one. It also, the fact that they played with the three at the back meant that they didn't have three in midfield. McGinn and Douglas Louise were in there. Buendia was, uh, according to the reports, playing slightly further forward of that too. But then it, with Lacazette dropping into that hole when Arsenal didn't have the ball, we then outnumbered them there too. So we kind of nullified the numerical advantage that playing with a back three does or, or gives you by pushing Lacazette forward when we had the ball but also dropping him into the hole when we didn't and adding him to that midfield. I think for me, you know, when we started the game and, and we did start it at 100 miles an hour again, just like we did against Crystal Palace, you were looking at it and going, this is good and this is great and it's fantastic to see, but are we going to be able to maintain this throughout the course of at least the half? And what was different tonight in comparison to what we saw on Monday night was that Arsenal maintained it a lot better. They were very committed, very hardworking, very aggressive in the press. And I thought we never at any point allowed Aston Villa to settle into the game. I don't remember Aston Villa having a shot in the first half. Genuinely, don't remember it. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't have one at all. And, and that was a, a real sign of how dominant and controlling Arsenal were in the early stages of the match. Now, remember, there were a ton of people in this very chat box all over social media in the lead up to this game talking about how it was nailed on that Arsenal were going to get beaten by Aston Villa, how it was an absolute certainty. And if you remember, I pointed out on the preview show, not to blow my own trumpet, but I pointed out that actually Aston Villa this season have not been anywhere near as elite as some people have made them out to be, or some people predicted they would be when they made certain transfers in the summer. They were below us in the league when the game started. So, you know, while I'm happy with the performance, I don't think this was a great Villa side. You know, on paper, it looks quite good. But actually, this Villa side are not playing at a very high level. That's not to take anything away from Arsenal, though. It's just to kind of rubbish the kind of talk that was going around before 
and and that is people choosing to be negative about something even when the evidence tells them otherwise even when the evidence tells them that no Aston Villa are not going to come to the Emirates Stadium and completely dominate us people wanted to believe that because people are at the point now in a lot of cases where they're so negative about the side so negative about Mikel Arteta it's almost as though they want him to fail and it's almost as though they want the team to start us so they can say I told you so well they can't say that tonight because Arsenal were sensational I thought starting from the back you know going through the entire team I thought Aaron Ramsdale was really good again made a couple of decent stops but for me it was the distribution it was the um it was the you know, awareness, you know, there were a couple of times in the second half where Villa hit balls into the channels to try and run us out wide and Aaron Ramsdale would come out and deal with them. I think his reading of the game, his presence, his communication, and on top of all of that, his distribution makes him a really, really, you know, top goalkeeper. And I'm I'm delighted that we signed him. You know, i got to admit, I had reservations about it. I was one of the people that said, I don't know if Ramsdale's that bad, but i don't think I would be spending £25 million on him when we've got three, four other things that desperately need addressing. And I was horribly wrong. And I hold my hands up to that. I think he's been really, really good. Um, you know, I thought moving on, I thought Takahiro Tomiyasu was was very good today. Still saw slight signs of what I was talking about off the back of the Palace game. And a lot of people gave me stick for saying this about Tomiyasu. I said that I don't think that he offers as much in the attacking third as some fullbacks. And I still maintain that. I still think there were a couple of times tonight where he got forward using his incredible athleticism, but didn't always make the right decision in terms of the pass, um, sometimes delaying things, et cetera, et cetera. So I still think that is something that Tommy Asu can improve on. But as a defender, he's just so, so effective. He's so good in the air. He's quick, he's strong, um, he's very tactically aware. And I was really, really impressed by him. I was really, really impressed by Nuno Tavares, who, as I say, came into the side in the absence of Kieran Tierney. And look, for me, the fact that I don't think we missed Kieran Tierney at all tells you so much about how well Nuno Tavares played. Remember as well, right, that, you know, we've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about this reluctance in Kieran Tierney to get forward to to go that extra five, 10 yards up the pitch that he normally does with such regularity. Nuno Tavares came in, did that, gave us that. And I think as a result, we ran Aston Villa ragged. He's incredibly powerful. He's incredibly um, physical. I think he still needs a little bit of refining in terms of final product, in terms of maybe sometimes making the right decision. You know, he's not scared to take a shot. But for me, you know, I, I think that it's it's very clear that although Kieran Tierney only missed tonight's game, there must be something going on there injury-wise. He must have been carrying something for a little while that's prevented him from maybe feeling within himself that he can, uh, you know, push those boundaries and go that extra mile. But listen, Nuno Tavares, you know, not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination, is a little bit of a rough diamond. That's how I've always described him, but was was pretty good tonight and a very, very capable uh, capable deputy. There's no doubt about that. Moving into the centre of the defence, um, Ben White brought a real calmness to the defence again. Um, you know, I think he's I think he's growing. I think at the beginning there were question marks around certain elements of his game. I think him and Gabriel complement each other brilliantly because one is kind of all action, wants to make the tackle is a bit of a beast, is a bit of a unit. And then the other one is really, really um, calm and composed and different. And look, sometimes great partnerships are two total opposites because they complement one another. And I do think there's a lot of differences in the game, uh, in the two players' sort of game and style of football. But I think they're learning to complement each other really, really well. So fair play to both of those two, especially Gabriel, though, for me tonight. I thought he was immense. And I think he's getting better and better. I think we always knew that he had the physicality. I think at times last season, we saw him struggle a little bit in possession. I never felt that he progressed the ball well enough. I thought that when he was playing alongside anyone but David Luiz, he struggled with that because David Luiz kind of took on that mantle and maybe, um, you know, covered up his shortcomings in that particular area. But 
actually he's improved there. I think he's done very, very well. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing more of, of this Gabriel and Ben White partnership. Really enjoying it. Moving into the midfield, uh, Sambi Lakonga for me tonight was 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 brilliant. I thought that's as as good as he's played in an Arsenal shirt. I thought he was really impressive, really good in possession. I remember him losing the ball once in the first half where he just got caught on the ball. And I thought that's the type of thing that happened to him against Crystal Palace. And I was a little bit frustrated at that particular moment because I felt like, you know, he, he needs to learn that you can't do that in the Premier League. Or maybe he underestimated the kind of physicality in this division. As You know, in, in Europe, you put your body in the way, you take the contact, you go down, you win a free kick. Here, it's not always the case. And so I thought that, you know, he coped with the game really, really well tonight. And what was so, so important about Sambi tonight was that he played a lot closer to Thomas Partey. Now, talked about the systems and the formations, and look, we'll, we'll analyse that in a little bit more detail on Sunday when we do the tactical analysis show. But for me, the fact that he was a lot closer to Thomas Partey and the pair operated more like a unit rather than as individuals made all the difference. I thought also Lukonga showed flashes of what he can do technically, carrying the ball, driving at people, played a really good pass in behind for Bukayo Saka at one point in the second half. Unfortunately, the shot was blocked. But just you saw flashes of not only what Lukonga can do in terms of pressing, being defensive, being structured, but also what he can do on the ball and the technical quality that he has that has obviously made him stand out to those kind of in charge of recruitment. So, yeah, really good display from him. Talked loads about Lacazette already. You know, for me, I've been thinking about this all the way home because somebody asked me the question in the stadium, who would be my man in the match? And at the time, I really struggled to work out who that would be. But I'm going to give it to Alexander Lacazette because I just thought his contribution was so significant in everything that Arsenal have done this evening. It's impossible to look beyond him. That's not to say that the rest didn't play well. You know, I thought everybody played well tonight and that's great to say and great to see. Um, you know, Saka, considering he was a doubt for the game, I thought was excellent. I felt he probably should have scored um, when Arsenal broke away and Nuno Tavares got down the left-hand side and just cut the ball back across the penalty area. It was a good save from Martinez, but... When the ball rolled across, you're looking at Saka and I'm just thinking you've got acres here. You've got time. You've got space. And I just think somebody else maybe looks at lifting that or maybe even takes a touch and allows Martinez to continue in his sort of commitment to dive across the goal and then puts it in the other corner. I don't know. I just felt like a, a more accomplished finisher would have, would have taken that opportunity. And look, Saka contributed loads tonight. So... It's not me having a dig and I don't want to, you know, make it sound like I'm having a go at the young lad because considering that kick he took, I thought he was brilliant and he obviously lasted uh, in the game a lot longer than anybody anybody kind of imagined. So, yeah, you know, brilliant performance from Saka again. Oba is like a man possessed. I mean, what is going on with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? I, I, it's good. It's great. I'm loving it. I'm loving the commitment levels because a lot of people... When we look back at last season and we look at a couple of the incidents that occurred, you know, the the turning up late for the North London derby, some of the lacklustre performances, at times he looked a little bit disinterested. And we kept hearing from Arteta and from the club or at least having those messages kind of indirectly passed across to us as a fan base that he had things going on. And, you know, we know his mum was unwell and then we know that he caught malaria and it was a really difficult season for Aubameyang and a lot of people in seeing his performances dropped, I guess couldn't get their heads around why he'd gone from kind of up here to down there. And although those other things were going on, a lot of which we didn't know about until after those events had occurred or passed, a lot of people were very quick to say his head's not in it or his heart's not in it. His attitude is wrong. And and actually, I think in the last few weeks, Pierre and Aubameyang has proved that that is not the case at all. Um, you know, he's, he's scoring goals, but not only is he scoring goals, which we've always known he can do, he is contributing in terms of pressing, in terms of working back, and in terms of, above all, setting an example for some of those younger players around him. And I think when your captain is playing like that and your captain is is showing that kind of commitment, 
then that filters through and it's infectious and it bleeds through to the rest of the group. And he's been, you know, a revelation in the last few weeks. Also, Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, another wonderful, wonderful talent. Obviously, incredibly fortunate with his goal. It was what I call an Emil Smith-Rowe shot where it didn't really have all that much behind it. Wasn't in either corner, but it took a little deflection um, and, and it went into the near post. And you could see what that goal meant to him. You know, you really could. And it was it was great to see him run over to the corner where I was situated to celebrate. And you could see the scenes because after, you know, what's happened in the last couple of weeks, just or, or, or throughout the season, actually, getting that third goal felt like a huge, huge relief. And only at that point were I, were I convinced that we were going to win the game. Now, I know that that's silly because Villa had offered nothing in an attacking sense necessarily up until that point. And, you know, we had looked quite good defensively, but you always have that kind of thing in the back of your mind when the team isn't necessarily at the level that we all hope it will be one day. You do feel uh, a little bit more nervous during the game. And then, you know, I might watch it back on Sunday and say, what the hell was I nervous about? In fact, that would probably be the case. But yeah, I thought it was a vital goal at a vital time um, and one that, that, you know, wrapped up the game. I think just a couple of you know points you know i had actually written a tweet which i sent out just as the half time whistle was about to go saying that's as good a half of football as i've seen from arsenal this season and my only frustration is that we haven't added a second now var stepped in and made sure that that penalty kick for Alexander Lacazette was awarded. It was certainly a foul. We had the benefit of a replay in the stadium, which was great. Um, and, I, and I was delighted to see that awarded. And then Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang score. Uh, Martinez made the save. And, and we'll come on to talk about Martinez in a minute because there's a couple of bits I just want to discuss for those of you that maybe weren't in the stadium and maybe didn't really get the vibe from the television uh, pictures. But yeah, you know, the penalty came and, and you felt like that was a real crucial moment in the game. Chance to double the lead, chance to really get what I felt was a just reward for the way we had played in that first half. As I said, I don't think Arsenal have been or have turned in a more complete first half performance than that in a long, long time. Penalty was saved. Ball come back to Aubameyang. He put it in the back of the net. Great 2-0 half time. And I think it was so, so important that we got that second goal because I think... You know, right at the start of the second half, Aston Villa started putting a few passes together. Didn't really do a, a lot in terms of direct goal for it, but they came out with a point to prove as a side that a 2-0 down should do. And I was a little bit, I was sitting there thinking if it was only one, I'm not sure that we would have, you know, obviously having a greater lead is better than having a smaller lead. But I just felt like that second goal was so important in kind of settling everybody down because the performance was really good. And I think if we had gone in at just 1-0, yeah, people would have been happy, but there would have been this bit of regret in the back of our minds. Um, you know, this little bit of kind of frustration around not getting that second goal. And would that have led to perhaps a lapse in concentration or would that have led to uh, a nervousness that would have filtered through and then subsequently seen us, um, you know, struggle in the second period? I don't know, but... I thought it was vital that we got that second goal. And and obviously, the way it came about, definitely a penalty nowadays anyway. And um, and credit to Aubameyang for, for staying sharp on the rebound and tucking it in after uh, a really good Martinez save. I think, you know, it was great to see Thomas Partey score, obviously. Finally, Thomas Partey scoring. And I know a lot of people probably envisaged Thomas Partey's first Arsenal goal as being one uh, from 25 yards into the top bins. It wasn't to be, it was a header from a set piece. I thought Martinez's goalkeeping for that particular incident was very, very poor. Um, you know, so, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't play for us anymore. Who cares? Uh, the ball goes into the bottom corner. That's Arsenal breaking the deadlock. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the penalty, the Emil Smith-Rowe goal was the third. Villa's goal was a, a brilliant strike. Not a lot you can do about that. I think we could have, dealt with the situation prior to it a little bit better, but Jacob Ramsey rifled it in or, or passed it into the top corner, whatever you want to say. And I thought that was excellent. Um, let's um, let's touch on a couple of other bits and pieces. Let's touch on Emmy Martinez. 
very much the pantomime villain tonight at the Emirates Stadium, but only after he saved the penalty. Because I don't know about you, and, and you might have been in a different part of the ground to me, but I did not hear anything directed at Emmy Martinez until he saved the Bamiyang's penalty. It was like the minute he saved it, he just became the pantomime villain. Was it that or was it because later on in the game when we felt it was one, it was easier or there was less kind of focus and tension in the stadium. And so for us, it was easy to kind of then turn on on Martinez as the focus. But he got a lot of stick. Aaron Ramsdale, he's better than you, was the chant ringing around the stadium uh, at various points. Emmy, what's the score? Uh, was another one uh, that went around. He was being booed when he got the ball. Uh, and, and listen, for me, look, I don't really have an issue with Emmy Martinez. It's not... You know, I've been, and mainly when I was younger and I was a, an idiot, uh, to be quite honest, I used to go to games and see, I don't know, a couple of examples, Robin Van Persie, um, Cesc Fabregas, and, and kind of froth at the mouth from the anger I'd feel towards them, seeing them in, in a different team's colours. Now, I know the Van Persie thing, moving from Arsenal to Man United, is very different from going to Arsenal to Villa, which is a downgrade, but it was... Um, I couldn't really understand it tonight. Like, I thought it was a bit of banter. The Aaron Ramsdale stuff was a bit of banter. Um, all of that was was all good fun and all in good spirits. But I was just looking at Emmy Martinez at one point and thinking he is definitely going to give an interview this week to ESPN Argentina uh, or something like that, some kind of outlet like that, and say, oh, you know, I, I, was, I gave 10 years of my life to that football club. I can't believe I was treated like that. You just know what he's like. He loves to like play the victim and he loves to talk about Arsenal and you just know that's coming. And look, let me be quite honest with you, okay? Because people were losing their shit when we sold Emi Martinez. I'm not regretting it now. Now that we've got Aaron Ramsdale in between the sticks, I'm not regretting it one bit. I've got to be honest. I thought Martinez was crap um, for the Thomas Partey goal. I thought he made an outstanding save from a Bamiyang's penalty, but obviously the rebound was turned in. But I thought that his goalkeeping for that Thomas Partey goal was awful. I also thought his distribution was awful. And when you compare his distribution to that of Aaron Ramsdale's, you can see why the club would have felt that he is not somebody that we can definitely promise is going to be the number one moving forward. The idea was always for Arsenal to distribute from the back. The idea was always to have a goalkeeper who could do that. They chose to keep Bern Leno at the time. I've talked to you guys before about how that situation unfolded. The fact that Emi Martinez wasn't forced out, but he wasn't promised that he would be the number one. And that was enough for him to want to kind of push the, um, you know, to push the, um, the kind of move through to Aston Villa. And look, he's gone there. And I don't think, as I say, Aston Villa have been very good this season. Um, you know, there, there's something just not quite right there. It's not clicking. They've got a lot of new players, a lot of new signings. And while we're on the topic of new players and new signings, Emi Buendia was awful. Absolutely awful. Um, and I remember during the summer when I said that I felt that signing Buendia would be a risk because... I didn't feel that you can necessarily guarantee somebody like Buendia translates the form that he showed in the championship into the Premier League. I remember that and I got absolutely hammered for it. I remember people in the chat telling me I didn't know what I was talking about and that signing him would have been huge. And I'm not saying that he's a shit player and I'm not saying that he's not going to do anything this season. He's, I think he's got one goal in the Premier League so far this season, but he's not even starting every week for Aston Villa. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here is that sometimes we can overhype players and sometimes we can think that we know best. And I was always concerned about how somebody like Emi Buendia translates that form from the championship to the Premier League. And he's not, he's not able to do it at the moment. He's struggling. And I think there are only a handful of players that have done that, you know, in recent years that have come from the championship and then been able to produce at the level that they produced in the in you know in the Premier League or, or sorry produce in the Premier League the same level they did in the Championship. You look at side Ben Rama, who was ripping up the Championship with Brentford, comes up with West Ham. Uh, comes to West Ham, he's done okay 
this season. I didn't think he was very good last season, but he's still not the side Ben Rama that we thought was going to, you know, rip the place up after what he did in the championship. So there are a lot of players, you know, for every Ivan Tony, for every, um, you know, Jamie Vardy or whatever players that have come from lower leagues and, and done very, very well. There are a lot that don't do it as well. And you got to remember that. And to make an investment of 40 odd million pounds or whatever it was going to take um, to bring him in was always going to be a huge, huge risk. So I'm, I'm glad that we avoided that one as well. A um, couple of other bits and pieces I just want to kind of touch on. We'll take a few of your questions as well. Uh, get your questions in the chat box. I'd love to take them. Um, pop them in there now and I'll come to those in a, in a couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, for me, I think it's okay to still worry that Mikel Arteta is not the right man. It's okay to still think that, you know, just because of this one performance, we're not, we haven't turned the corner. I think that's absolutely fine. And it's a very much a valid opinion to have. But I think that if you are going to be one of those people that really sticks the knife in, on Mikel Arteta every time he makes a mistake. You have to be fair and give him the praise when he gets it right. And tonight he got absolutely everything right. It wasn't just about the personnel. It wasn't just about the system. Um, you know, it was, you know, his coaching from the sidelines is so, so intense. It really, really is. Um, you know, he's he's kicking every ball. Is He's really feeling it down there. And I think this is a man who's maybe a little bit wired. Like he he wants to win. He's desperate to win. And and to question his motives, I think, at times, or to question whether he's got the, the kind of fire in his belly is completely wrong. Does he make mistakes? Yeah, he does. So do some of the players. It's an ex inexperienced setup in general. But when your senior players are performing the way they did tonight, when your young players are, you know, at the top of their game and everything clicks then we are as good as anyone, you know, in in that kind of race for the top six. I'm not saying we're as good as the top four. I don't think that for a second, but I do think that we can, um, you know, we can, we can feel confident about beating some of those teams in that next mini league that I class us as being in to those European positions, which will ultimately be the goal. I think, you know, you're really, what you, what you get at Arsenal right now, and, and I guess, what I'm feeling anyway is I'm feeling like this is a team that although there are ups and downs and although there are bumps in the road, I'm quite invested in emotionally. And the reason I'm invested in them emotionally is because we've got some of our own. You know, we've got Saka, we've got Emil Smith-Rowe. And I don't care what people say, that does help. You know, you hear young Emil Smith-Rowe today talking about the fact that he wants to stay at the club forever. That, as a fan, is what you want to hear. You know, you see him kind of connecting with the local community, going out there and doing adverts with businesses and things like that. And that's what you want. To, you, you want to be proud of those types of players. But equally, there are young players and up and coming players in that group that aren't homegrown, but still I feel a kind of affiliation to. Like, I really like Gabriel. I'm really invested in him. Really invested in Aaron Ramsdale. Really liking Takahiro Tomiyasu. Nuno Tavares is someone that I'm so... Uh, what's the word, like intrigued and curious to see how his career path is going to go. You know, even, you know, Lokonga, there's, there's just so much to like about this team, but you've got to accept at this point that the inconsistencies are going to be there. And look, if Arsenal averaged, and I know this isn't, you know, it's not, it's not something that's going to happen, but if you averaged four points every two games, then you're averaging two points per game. And averaging two points per game will stand you in very good stead in this league. You will lose games at certain times and you'll get no points, but equally you'll win games that maybe you don't expect to win. So I think if you can keep that, the, the point I'm trying to make is not that we should be happy with draws, not that we should be happy that we didn't beat Crystal Palace, but that we shouldn't overreact on individual games. So we shouldn't look at Crystal Palace and go, our season's fucking over because we didn't beat Crystal Palace. But equally, we shouldn't say we're going to win the Premier League because we beat Aston Villa. You have to look at it in the bigger picture, in the wider context. And the wider context is that since this new backline has come into place, we've defended much, much better. That 
with the tweak that Arteta made today in terms of the attacking players, we created a hell of a lot more. And I think he is still in the stage as a manager of trying to find what his actual managerial identity is. And there will be people out there that will say he should never have got the job because this is not a learning ground. And I completely get that. But I think given time, this squad, this group will develop. Whether it will develop to the level that we want it to be, i.e. back in the Champions League, back competing at the very top end of the Premier League remains to be seen. And I actually think to expect them to be competing right at the top of the Premier League without the same investment that City or Chelsea make is unrealistic. But I think given time, this will prove to be the right approach. That's my gut feeling. And that's why I feel invested. You know, Edu talked about it in the summer, didn't he? He talked about the fact that maybe next summer we'll be looking at one or two top quality players. And I think this is this is absolutely the right way to be looking at it. I think you do have to, at some point, be very radical and drastic in your action to, to turn something into another, um, you know, in, into kind of to turn a big ship around. It takes a lot of work. And we made that that transition in the summer when we brought in a lot of players. And then going forward, hopefully there'll be less of that and less people kind of, you know, coming in at the same time and people leaving and, and, and things will be a little bit more settled. And then hopefully we can start to develop that a little bit more. Um, let's take some of your questions then in the live chat box. Pop them over to me. A couple of you saying I look really tired. Yeah, it is half past midnight here. Um, I've been on the go. Well, I took a day off today, but actually looking after my kids is harder work than work. So I was actually, I took a day off to relax and I ended up more tired. And then I've gone to the game. I've come straight back and I've done this. Um, so I am tired. I'm not going to lie. Um, Jack Burgess says, uh, Harry, why do you turn every win into a lecture about why we should keep Arteta? It's not a lecture about why. It, it's my opinion on why this project needs a little bit more time before we can really tell if it's if it's the right thing or not. Um, my opinion is that it's at least the right approach. My my reservation is that in this current league and and given all the competition around us, this approach may not be enough. That's my reservation about it. But my my frustration, Jack, and and my the reason why I always feel that I need to make these points and I need to really emphasize that even when there are downs and, and Crystal Palace, the draw at home was a down despite the fact that we scored so late on. When there's downs, the noise is too loud. Equally, when there's wins, the noise can be too loud as well. And I think we need to tone it down at both ends and find a bit of a middle ground. And, and I want people to say, like, you know, Inter in the chat is getting a lot of shit tonight because he often criticises Arsenal and that that's his opinion and he's absolutely entitled to that and I'll never have a go at him for having an opinion. But I do think if you're being negative about tonight's game, then you've got an agenda. And I'm not saying you are Inter because I, I haven't read all the comments, but if you are being negative about a game like tonight, a performance like tonight, which was almost flawless, then you are being negative and you are driving some kind of agenda. So my point is here is that you, with the same energy that people get on Mikel Arteta's back, criticise him, rip him to shreds when he makes a mistake, we should praise him tonight because it was absolutely 100% spot on. It was spot on. And, and, and that is where we're at. And that is why... When I see performances like this, yes, I've seen a lot of crap ones as well. But I just feel like when I see performances like that, it's... Do you remember I've been saying over the last few weeks that what Arsenal need to do to keep the fan base engaged is almost feed us crumbs that we can kind of... So we're following them and we're picking up the crumbs behind them and eating them. And that's keeping us intrigued and interested and keeping us on that path with them. I think... Performances like that give me that. Performances like against Spurs give me that. The fact that we ground out a couple of other results, Burnley, Norwich, they give me that. And so when I get them, I want to take them and I want to enjoy them. And I don't want to be negative and I don't want to be slagging off the club. I always say, if you're a football fan and you go to watch your team for enjoyment and you're not enjoying it, and you know we, we've all been through those periods, 
but then you can't enjoy the good, then then I don't see the point. And you might as well pack it in and watch golf or, or something like that. But yeah, it's not a lecture. It's my opinion. And, and that's, unfortunately, whether people like it or not, that's what this podcast is built on, right? People tune into the podcast to listen to an opinion and then to interact with me and then to discuss theirs. If you want me to, uh, I'm not going to sit here and lie <laughs> about what my opinion is. You all know my stance on the project. You all know that I think it needs more time. You all know that while I've had wobbles and major doubts at certain points about Mikel Arteta's ability to take his team forward, I've been more patient than others. So when I come across, um, you know, when I come across as I'm giving a lecture, that's not what I'm doing. I'm sharing my view. And I'm thinking out loud, which is essentially what the Chronicles of Aguna is. You know, most of the time it's a solo podcast of me banging on about Arsenal. So there you go. Let's say a big hello uh, to a few of you in the chat. Big hello to Nigo, who I saw down at the game. Hope you're well, man. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope, by the looks of it, you got home safe, which is great. Uh, let's take some of the questions then from the live chat box. Having to... Um, scroll back a little bit Bonster says got the result but any standout performers there was loads I would name the whole 11 uh when it comes to standout performers genuinely there were some really really good uh good performances tonight I really enjoyed Lacazette in particular and that's why I've given him my man of the match uh let's see what else we've got in the chat box um Archangel says why wasn't Emery given so much time because there was no clear direction. And that's the difference, right? Look, I know that there have been ups and downs with Arsenal under Arteta. There's no getting away from that. But under Unai Emery, we made a mishmash of signings that were for the future and players that were over the hill. We brought Socrates in, who was never going to be an Arsenal standard centre-half. We signed bloody Stefan Licksteiner. You know, for me, there wasn't any plan under Unai Emery when I'm talking about the whole club, right? So I'm not saying that it was all down to Unai Emery. I, I didn't rate him and I didn't like a lot of the things he implemented. But at the time at the club, it was a mess upstairs. There was Sven Mislintat who was supposedly coming in to identify all these gems. He was bringing these players in. Unai Emery didn't want them. Unai Emery couldn't get the best out of them. The results dipped. Nobody really knew what was going on. Raul Sanley came in and it, it it was just a complete and utter shit show. The club in general, I think, really struggled to deal with the departure of Arsene Wenger structurally. And I think actually, if Unai Emery had come in when Mikel Arteta came in, or no, not even, that's not even fair because Mikel Arteta's had a lot of shit to deal with as well. If he had come in, if Unai Emery had come in in five years' time, when maybe the structure was a little bit more secure, then I don't think he'd have done as bad a job. I think there were a lot of forces at play in the background that contributed to Emery not doing very well. But he didn't get the time because he didn't have the buying of the players. Towards the end, he certainly didn't have the buying of the players. There were some really weak, disturbing performances. Remember the Europa League final. Remember some of those games at home in his second season leading up to his sacking. You can say what you want about Mikel Arteta and there will be a lot of people with a lot to say about him over the course of the campaign. And that's for sure. And that's fine. It's your opinion. But when you see the commitment that the team has shown uh, against Villa tonight, against Crystal Palace in patches, against Tottenham in various other games, I don't think you can say that the players aren't playing for him or that the effort is not there. I even said it after the Palace match. If you remember when I got back, and I and I jumped on here to do a live show. One of the first things I said was, we dropped points tonight, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. It was for a lack of quality. And, and the fact that you don't think, or we don't think, or I don't think that it's a lack of trying tells me that the players haven't down tools. Kevin Campbell was on here yesterday and he said the same thing. That's not a group of players that have down tools. But under Unai Emery, at the point he was sacked, they absolutely did. And that's a massive, massive difference. Uh, let's take a couple more uh, of your questions. Josh Hunter says, do you think 3-5-2 should be used for teams we struggle to break down because we're able to play more fluid? Um, I'm not a massive fan of the 3-5-2 with 
with Arsenal. I, I don't really think it's the best thing for us. Um, I like what we saw tonight. I like the the hybrid thing where the number 10 is like a striker when we've got the ball, but then drops that little bit deeper when we don't and becomes part of the midfield. I really like that. But as I said right at the top of the show, I'm not sure that works against everyone. I think there are certain games where that will be beneficial and there are others where it will be less effective. I still think structurally the 4-2-3-1 is probably the go-to for me. And then you can play around with whether you want that number 10 to be a number 10 like Odegaard, Emil Smith-Rowe, or you want it to be a Lacazette, someone to play as a second striker. So I think there's different things. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Michael Carpenter, thank you so, so much, mate, for your very, very kind Super Chat donation. It's very much appreciated, I assure you. He says, how much better was the atmosphere tonight compared to Palace? I think that's a better, uh, I think that's a huge factor in the performance. Here's what I'll say, uh, Michael. A lot of the time, you know, we talk about atmosphere and, and Arsenal atmosphere is something that's been criticised quite a bit. Um, I do like this, though, uh, from Tom. Uh, Friday night, so everyone was drunk. Yeah, that probably does help as well. But listen, I think the atmosphere a lot of the time is based on the kind of transmission of energy that you get from the players. So if you feel the players are performing at their maximum, and they're giving their all, I think naturally the atmosphere raises and improves and gets better. I think the problem with the Crystal Palace game was we we played very well for 15, 20 minutes and then Crystal Palace got a foothold in the game and we never replicated that. And so naturally, the atmosphere becomes one of nervousness, one of frustration, and then it becomes harder as a fan when you're in the stadium. And I think fans get a lot of stick for this. Yes, you need to be behind your team, but I think sometimes it's not that easy. If you're sitting there, standing there, biting your nails and you're worried and concerned, do you want to be up shouting? I know I don't. I kind of go into my shell in situations like that. So I think the atmosphere was better because the transmission we were getting from the players or what we were seeing from the players in terms of their effort, commitment, work rate, et cetera, et cetera, was so good that we were really on board with it. And because it lasted the entirety of the first half, the atmosphere was great for the entirety of the first half. Then the second half starts and we had a third goal and all of a sudden we're 3-0 up. We're delighted. The performance has been great. And naturally, again, the atmosphere is, is going to be at a high level. So uh, Jack says, I'm talking like Arteta talking about transmitting energy. But no, I do think there is a there is a direct correlation between how a team plays and what the atmosphere is like, you know, on most occasions anyway. Uh, Scott says, do you think Laka will stay in the starting 11 after this game? If he doesn't, I'll be absolutely livid because he's been so, so good. And I'm, you know, I don't want to say it just yet. I'm starting to think that maybe we should be looking at potentially giving him a year's extension if that's something he'll be open to because his work rate is brilliant. His attitude is great. Um, I think he's, he's, such a great example for the young players. And I'll tell you why. You know, we've had players in the past who have been in their last um, year of contract and not really wanted to really push the boundaries or exert themselves. And Lacazette, despite all of this going on, despite the uncertainty around his future, has never shown that. He's just as committed as everybody else. Um, and that's fantastic. Uh, Darren Sullivan says, uh, don't the atmosphere was dead, Harry. Don't get deluded. I was in the ground, mate. I don't know where you were sitting in the ground. I was in the North Bank block six and the atmosphere was cracking. I don't know where you were. Um, uh, maybe you were in the prawn sandwich section. I don't know. But the atmosphere was fine tonight. It's just a classic case of people wanting to have a go at Arsenal fans about something. Have a go at the people that are slagging off Mikel Arteta after a really good display like that. Have a go at those people who are not enjoying the fact that we've just won a game against a side who are supposedly a mile better than us, who supposedly done better business than us in the summer, who supposedly were going to finish above us this year. Have a go at that. Um, because that negativity is warranting of the criticism, not the atmosphere that was created inside the stadium tonight. Right, it is coming up to 1am here in the UK. So I am going to love you and leave you. As I say, got a very, very busy day tomorrow. I'm going to be on live commentary uh, for Cardiff versus Middlesbrough in the Championship. Working on that one uh, this weekend. 
So if you are interested in that game, it is the 12.30 kickoff in the championship. If you are in the UK um, or if you're in Europe, you can listen via the radio. If you're in the UK and you fancy tuning in, I'd love to uh, hear you guys' feedback because I am still relatively new in the commentary world. Um, did a full season last season, but hadn't done all that much before that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you download the um, the Flash Score app, you can find my commentary being streamed through there. So if you go on Flash Score, you find the games that are alive. Some of them have got a little audio icon next to them, and that means the commentary is being broadcast through there. It's the same commentary that we put out across the radio. Um, so download the Flash Score app. That's the easiest way to find it. And I'd uh, I'd love to hear uh, any thoughts from you guys on uh, on the commentary. Right, we'll be back very very soon. I'll be back on Sunday, um, working tomorrow, and then attending a christening. As I said, so there won't be the tactical review show tomorrow, but I will bring it to you on Sunday when I've had an opportunity to watch the game back, and then we'll bring you another show on Sunday night. Lots of content to come over the next couple of days. Make sure, if you haven't done so already, you've hit that like button. Let's see where we're at in terms of likes. We are currently on uh, 129. Let's get up to 150 at least by the time the outro rolls. Also, subscribe to the channel if you're new. We are now less than 100 away from hitting the 17,000 mark here on YouTube. If you're an audio listener, please leave us a review. Uh, Love you all. Going to leave you all. But I do love you all and I love Arsenal and I loved what I saw tonight. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Good night. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.